Hey Conjurers, I'm Sham. And I'm Steph. Not too long ago, in 2017, one hurricane shocked the state of Texas, leaving fatalities, homelessness, and caused the community to come together in ways they never thought they would have to. As everyone was collecting themselves and focusing on saving lives, one Texan took advantage of this natural disaster. But little did he know, it's not so easy to wash away your troubles. On the morning of August 25th of 2017, around 7.35 a.m., Crystal McDowell left her boyfriend, Paul Hargrave's home to go to work. Crystal was a realtor for Virginia Malone & Associates, located in Baytown, which was about 30 minutes outside of Houston. For the past week, a hurricane had been forming in the Gulf of Mexico, and everyone in the city was preparing for Hurricane Harvey to make its way through Houston, Texas. Crystal had two showings that morning, which she never made it to. That evening, Crystal's family gathered together to watch the Mayweather and McGregor fight on TV. After waiting hours for Crystal to show up, the family grew concerned. None of them had spoken to Crystal or heard from her since she left Paul's home early that morning. This behavior was very odd for Crystal. She would never ignore her family for a full day. So they decided this was serious enough to file a missing persons report with the Houston PD that evening. The police went to Crystal's residence that she shared with her ex-husband to see if she had been home. Her ex, Stephen, told the police that he hadn't seen Crystal since the day before, and she usually stays at her boyfriend's house, so he directed them there. Hold up. She lives with her ex-husband, but she has a boyfriend? So I had read that she was only staying with him because she was getting renovations done on the home she had bought for herself and kids. That sounds complicated. What happened to end their marriage? Yeah, so a little information on Crystal at this time. She had just turned 38, and she had been previously married to a man named Stephen McDowell for 10 years. Throughout their marriage, they would have two children together, one boy named Madden and a girl named Maui. The children were five and eight at the time of her disappearance. Stephen had another daughter that lived with them as well named Krista, who was in high school. Even though they were divorced, Crystal felt like they co-parented well and even continued living with him while her new home was being remodeled. As for Stephen, it was clear to people surrounding this family that he wasn't truly over their relationship, and he even continued to wear his wedding ring despite their circumstances. Okay, so tell me more about this boyfriend. Yeah, so her boyfriend Paul was a local jeweler for a shop called The Robsons, And from the outside looking in, they appeared to be a loving couple. Crystal would even take to social media and write posts about him. For example, on August 23rd, only two days before her disappearance, she posted, I've never been happier in my whole life than I am right now. God is good. The night before, they had just gone on a date, and she went back home with him. The morning of her disappearance, Paul's security cameras caught the last glimpse of Crystal getting ready for work and getting into her car. Well, that sounds like she was happy with Paul. And the camera proves that she at least left his house safely. Yeah, I didn't see anything out of the ordinary when I looked up the footage. No tense movements or arguing, just a girlfriend leaving her boyfriend's house in the morning. So she disappeared during Hurricane Harvey. I have family in Texas, and I remember how scary that storm was. A lot of people were badly affected by that hurricane. Did that make it hard to search for her? 
So a little more information for our listeners. Hurricane Harvey started as a tropical storm off the coast of Africa on August 13th of 2017. At that time, there was nothing to fear, but they kept an eye on it because it kept growing. On August 25th of 2017, it finally made its way through Texas and was the biggest hurricane to hit the United States in 12 years. It left homes underwater and streets so flooded you had to have a boat to navigate it. It led to 103 reported deaths that week in Texas. There was way too much chaos going on in the surrounding area that looking for Crystal would have merely been impossible. Two days later, they would start investigating her disappearance, but wouldn't get far, because law enforcement was more focused on finding those in immediate danger from the natural disaster over finding missing persons. During this time, Crystal's Uncle Jeff approached Stephen to ask him if he knew anything, to which he shared a message on his phone from Crystal that said that she was going to get the kids and going to Dallas. Jeff had reservations that she actually sent that text message at all, and he didn't believe that she had any plans of going to Dallas. Her family knew the clock was ticking and needed to locate Crystal as soon as possible, so they did the only thing they could do in the only place that wasn't in chaos. They took to social media, asking friends, family, and peers to be on the lookout for her and if anyone had seen her to reach out. Her ex-husband even made his cover and profile photo the missing persons poster of Crystal. They reached out to news stations, and she started making headlines with titles like Baytown Realtor Goes Missing Before Hurricane Harvey. That text to Steven is super sketchy. I have a hard time believing she would just up and move to Dallas out of nowhere. Sounds like someone was trying to make it look like she was abandoning her life in Baytown. Did getting the word out on social media help? Well, something strange happened. One of Crystal's family members that had been posting her all over social media received a message from a stranger. This person told her family that they knew Crystal's car had been missing since she was last seen getting into it leaving her boyfriend's home, and they believed that they had come across it. This person had received a Snapchat of a flooded car from a friend who was at the Motel 6 parking lot. And upon the family receiving the photo, they were able to confirm that that was Crystal's Mercedes. Eventually, the family was able to get to the car with the help of law enforcement, and when they got there, they noticed the car was poorly parked, the windows were down, and the keys were still in the ignition. Once the car was able to be examined by investigators, no alarming evidence was found in it, leaving Crystal's family with little to go off of. The only thing they knew for sure was that due to her not making it to work that day and the CCTV footage from her boyfriend's house, Crystal went missing before Hurricane Harvey, and she was not a victim of this natural disaster. Absolutely not missing because of Hurricane Harvey. Sounds like foul play to me. Why would she be at a motel? And who leaves the windows down and keys in the ignition on a Mercedes during a hurricane? Right. Like, nothing about her disappearance sounds like a natural disaster caused it. Something is definitely up. Is there any reason she might try to fake her death or something? What do we know about Crystal's background? Crystal Ann Surratt was born on October 26 of 1979 in Baytown, Texas. Her name Crystal didn't come from the most conventional way of naming your daughter. Her parents named her after Crystal Meth, which her mom and dad would later die from when Crystal was 11 years old within six months of each other. Two years later, Crystal was abducted by a stranger and imprisoned in a chicken coop and was viciously assaulted. When she was finally able to escape, she moved in with her uncle Jeff, who ended up raising her into the woman she had become. 
As she became an adult, she would eventually meet her uncle's friend, Stephen, who would become her husband and the father of her children. Crystal was a very adventurous person. She loved traveling and even got a kick out of skydiving. Once her and Stephen got married, she started working for ExpressJet Airlines as a flight attendant and stayed there for 15 years. It allowed her to travel for free and see the world outside of Texas. This also came with some devious behavior. Crystal had men and women outside of Texas as well, and these affairs would ultimately sabotage her marriage to Stephen and lead to divorce. After she made the decision to leave Stephen, she went on to become a successful realtor up until the day of her disappearance. I'm sorry, what? She was kidnapped and held captive in a chicken coop? I want to know more about that case. (laughs) Girl, that alone would have been an entirely new episode. I couldn't find anything else about it while researching this case. Okay, well, it sounds like she had a really messed up childhood. But she had overcome so much and was living a really good life. I don't think she would willingly walk away from that. Oh, I definitely agree with that. Steph will tell us more about the investigation after this short break. Over the next week, while the storm settled and Texas was forced to deal with the aftermath, investigators could finally find the time to focus on finding Crystal. When it came to cases like this one, the first people that are suspects are people the victim knows and past and present spouses. So they started off by bringing Stephen in for questioning. Crystal was scheduled to pick up her two children from Stephen's home that same day and never made it. This would make him the last person to see Crystal had she shown up to get them, and the only thing they had to go off of was his word that she had never made it. He stated that he had last seen her the day before when she left the home they were sharing to go on a date with Paul. Stephen ended up taking a lie detector test and failed it drastically. Crystal's family took this with a grain of salt. They didn't believe Stephen had anything to do with it, and he was a good guy they had known for decades at this point. They were more concerned about the guy they didn't know much about and pointed the investigation towards her new boyfriend, Paul. When Crystal's uncle Jeff was interviewed, he said the following about Paul, and I quote, He creeps me out personally. I told her myself, he reminds me of Hannibal Lecter, and he creeps me out really bad. Okay, I get not fully trusting her new boyfriend you barely know, but Hannibal Lecter? One, what a weird person to compare anyone to. And two, I've seen pictures of Paul. He doesn't look suspect at all. Stephen was Uncle Jeff's friend. I get not wanting to believe your friend could do something horrible, but yeah, Hannibal Lecter, really? Yeah, seriously. Did he have any more to say other than comparing him to a man that eats his victims? (laughs) (laughs) The investigator proceeded to ask Jeff what exactly it is about Paul that creeps you out. In which he responded, I don't know. She liked him. She loved him. But she likes weird guys and I don't trust him. The investigator needed to know more and asked what would Paul gain by hurting Crystal? Jeff then went on to say he didn't know. When it came down to questions about Stephen, he talked about him in a protective manner, saying things like, I honestly believe he loved her to the point of no return. And he said he didn't do this. The detective ended the interview by stating, I believe someone killed her, and I believe I'm working on a murder case right now, and I will figure out who did it and where she is at. After the uncle was interviewed, Paul was brought in for questioning, given a lie detector test, and like Stephen, failed miserably. Outside of the family, it was no longer about finding the killer, 
it was trying to figure out which lover did it. Even with the lack of evidence and the possibility of her body and any clues being swept out to sea when Harvey hit, law enforcement wasn't giving up. Two weeks later, they went back to the motel and were lucky enough to find some CCTV footage showing Crystal's car being backed into the parking lot the day after her disappearance while the rain was pouring down around 6 a.m. Then five hours later, at the Shell gas station next to the motel, a car is seen pulling in for gas and the person driving the all-black matted Challenger was none other than her ex-husband, Stephen. Even though he parked next to a gas pump, he got out of his car and proceeded to walk over to the motel in a somewhat frantic manner and was caught on security footage returning back to his car two minutes later. Wait, what? You're telling me this man spotted his missing ex-wife's car and didn't report it? He absolutely looks sus. Agreed. Apart from the fact that him being there at all was super suspicious, it's damning for sure that he chose to let people keep looking for her without telling anyone that he had seen her car. He was up to something, that's for sure. I know they started putting the pieces together at that point. Things were definitely becoming clearer that he was the one to leave the car there in hopes that someone would steal it. What other reason would he have for leaving the windows down and the keys in the ignition, especially during a storm? The question now became how could he have parked the car and gotten himself home? He lived a pretty far distance from the motel, so walking wasn't an option. They started looking for any CCTV footage available between the motel to the home Stephen and Crystal shared. On several cameras, they noticed someone biking in the rain around 7 a.m., and when they got a closer look at the bike, it just so happened to be the exact same bike owned by Stephen. Investigators knew this because it was the same one he rode to his first interview with them. What a dumbass. <laughs> Why wouldn't you drive to the police station for questioning? Did that become his preferred choice of transportation? Right? He rode the getaway bike to the police station? Like, that's not going to stand out? <laughs> he didn't even try, dude. Stephen also shared that on the morning of Crystal's disappearance, he was shopping at Walmart. The only Walmart in Baytown just so happened to be located across the street from where Crystal's car was found. When they pulled the security camera footage from the time he had arrived at Walmart to the time he departed, he was seen purchasing the bike he was riding in the video. It was clear he likely harmed Crystal, parked her car, walked across the street to purchase a bike, and rode it home. Once he was home, he waited a few hours, then got into his own car and returned to the scene to check and see if the car was stolen. You went to the only Walmart in town? We have heard of many cases where serial killers go to Walmart late at night or early in the morning to buy the evidence that is used against them. Are some of you really out here doubting Walmart security measures? <laughs> the records of what these killers buy at the store is so easy to obtain. They seriously forget about Big Brother. <laughs> right. So they pick this guy up immediately, right? They brought Steven in in the hopes he would confess. They told him they had no doubt in their minds. They knew he had killed Crystal. They told him they were looking at him on all of the footage they had collected but Stephen was adamant that it wasn't him they were looking at, and he had nothing to do with her disappearance. He eventually admitted that some of the footage was of him, but not all of it. Investigators went back and talked with the family members who knew Stephen again, 
This time, they gathered that the divorce six months prior hadn't gone well, and Stephen took it very hard. He didn't fully accept that she no longer wanted to be his wife and had already moved on with Paul. One family member even told investigators that Stephen took it so hard, he had on more than one occasion mentioned murder-suicide involving himself, Crystal, and their children. There was also an event that occurred in the middle of their divorce where Stephen pretty much kidnapped his own children. He just took them and left without warning, leaving a frantic Crystal to call the police. Upon returning the children, all charges were dropped and Crystal brushed it off. Due to all the past and present circumstances surrounding Stephen and his propensity to do something quite drastic if given the chance, the children were placed in foster care during the investigation. As a family member, friend, or acquaintance, if you ever hear someone talk about murder-suicide or harming their children, say something. The whole family was at risk, and if anything would have happened to them, it would have been partially on you too. Absolutely. Never take a statement like that lightly. If they're willing to say something about hurting themselves or others out loud, it's safe to assume that they've been thinking about it in their head for a while. Get them help and protect everyone around them. Like, immediately. He sounds like he was trying to convince everyone besides himself he didn't harm her. He was clearly a jealous man and had a lot of anger and resentment towards Crystal. Not just due to the infidelity, but also from choosing to leave him and move on so quickly. The police had to find a way to get him to talk, so they told him he would never see his kids again if he didn't. This is when Stephen finally confessed to what occurred on the last day Crystal was seen alive. Crystal arrived home after leaving her boyfriend's house to see the kids before heading to work, but they were upstairs asleep. Before she could leave the house for work, Crystal and Stephen began arguing. The argument continued to escalate until Stephen snapped and grabbed Crystal in a chokehold, strangling her to death. He then wrapped her body in plastic bags and proceeded to dispose of her. He went on to blame her for her own murder because she was the one who was having affairs and that morning he called her out on them. He said she had talked about his manhood, shared how unfulfilling their sex life was, and said she no longer loved him. This was the moment when Stephen snapped and took her life. He agreed to share the location of where he left her body, but only if there was no chance of him getting the death penalty. The investigators made that deal and Stephen took them to the outskirts of Baytown. He led them to a spot that had been flooded with about five feet of water the week before, and they found her body in a heavily wooded area. Stephen was immediately charged with the murder of his ex-wife and held at the Chambers County Jail, where he remained until his trial. I'm disgusted that he tried to find a way to blame her, but I'm not surprised. Classic narcissistic personality. <laughs> I'm just happy he's finally arrested and can't run from this. Let's get into this trial. I want to hear some sentencing. Trial began in June of 2019, almost two years after his arrest. During those two years, Stephen and his defense attorney had put together something they could keep up their sleeve. During the trial, Stephen claimed he had strangled her during a heat-of-the-moment killing. They took advantage of the Texas law called sudden passion, which means passion directly caused by and arising out of provocation by the individual killed or another acting with the person killed, which passion arises at the time of the offense and is not solely the result of former provocation. 
When he took the stand, Stephen claimed that she had practically asked for it, and she wanted to die. He told the room that when she got home that morning, she was hysterical, and she is the one that began fighting with him. He said he tried stopping her and even offered a hug, but she had gone mad, and while he was trying to hold her to calm her down, her body just went limp, and that's when he realized she was dead. His defense was that he hugged her to death, and the jury wasn't buying it. This crime of passion came off to the jury as something that was premeditated by a jealous ex-husband. Investigators believed that the hurricane actually helped crack this case. Because of the flooding, it prevented the car from being stolen out of the motel parking lot. The car was the only evidence they had to lead them back to Stephen. Crime of passion? That sounds like a TV show, and honestly a catchy title. But no, sir. (laughs) He hugged her to death, man. That is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. (laughs) There's no way the jury or anyone in the room bought this. No way. On June 12th of 2019, Stephen McDowell was found guilty for the murder of Crystal McDowell and sentenced to 50 years in prison. He's living out his sentence at a prison called H.H. Caulfield Unit. He'll be eligible for parole in 2042 and has a release date of September 2067. Yes, I love when murderous husbands get life in prison. Do we know where the people in his life are now that were obviously affected by his crimes? In the most recent interview involving the McDowells, Stephen's oldest daughter, Krista, reached out to CBS News on August 1st of 2020 to share her side of the story. She talked about the relationship being toxic between Crystal and Stephen, but when they argued, they tried not to do so in front of the children. Since Krista was a teenager at the time, she could feel the tension surrounding the couple. She shared that when the couple would fight, both of them would take to social media and lie about how happy they were and how grateful they were for each other. They wanted to appear to be the perfect family to their peers. Well, you can't believe everything you see on the internet. People just post what you want them to see, and that's totally believable. That is the problem with how social media is used. It's not a realistic representation of life. Not at all. Did he tell her why he did it? When asked if she believes her father is remorseful, she said, and I quote, Oh yeah, I can promise you that even though her entire family probably hates him, he hates himself more for what he did. Krista believes that her father didn't mean to do it and just lost control of himself in that moment. Contrary to everyone believing he is a monster, his daughter doesn't think that makes him any less of a good man or a father. According to Crystal McDowell's obituary found on DignityMemorial.com, she was known as a loving mother, caring friend, and devoted confidant. She cared for everyone she knew whether they deserved it or not, and was loyal to a fault. She is survived by her two children who are still in Baytown, Texas, and being cared for by a longtime family friend of the McDowell's. Crystal's life had a tragic beginning and an even more tragic ending. Oftentimes, in cases like hers, the husband wants to start a new life, and they believe the only way of making that happen is to get rid of the problem, being their wife and children. In this case, Crystal just wanted to start a new chapter in her life, and Stephen couldn't let her. Instead, he let his jealousy take over. If one person would have taken his murder-suicide threat seriously, Crystal would have been aware of just how dangerous he was. Stephen gave life to the phrase, If I can't have you, no one can, 
and for that, he will pay for the rest of his life. The National Center on Domestic Violence, Trauma, and Mental Health provides training, support, and consultation to advocates, mental health and substance abuse providers, legal professionals, and policymakers as they work to improve agency and system-level responses to survivors and their children. Their work is survivor-defined and rooted in principles of social justice. If you are a victim of domestic violence or know someone who is, go to www.nationalcenterdvtraumamh.org or call 312-726-7020 for more information. To view images, information, and sources from this case, visit our website at crimeandconjure.com. Research and writing for this episode was done by Stefan Sham. Editing of this episode was done by Denver Fortner Productions with music by Jordan Alina. Be sure to check out our Instagram at Crime and Conjure Podcast for our question of the week. If you like our podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Even better, leave us a voicemail, which just might get featured on the show. You can find the link on our website. Sham, what's our Conjure Tip of the Week? Today, I want to talk about the stone Lilac Kunsite which is the stone of divine love. Because this is a vibrational crystal, it has high healing capabilities. This stone helps release heart blockages, opening up your heart and mind, and strengthens your intuition. After a divorce or breakup, when you feel like you can no longer trust your decisions, this stone helps you reconnect with the confidence you possess inside of you. Carry this stone when you are ready to date or just get back out there. I love any stone that aids in healing and trusting your own intuition great find we'll be back next week with another episode until Until next time stay vigilant conjurers. conjurers